Hi everyone, this is Andre and I'd like to welcome you to the new episode of the Localization Podcast. This is number 31 with David Chenik. In case you don't know, David is the founder and CEO of Memsource. It's funny that I agreed with David to interview him before the news hit social media. In case you didn't know, Memsource has recently sold majority of its stake to a private equity firm called Carlyle Group. So we definitely touched on this recent development with David as well. But the majority of the interview is about Memsource, how Memsource was started, how they got to their first customers, what were the challenges, what is the culture, and what differentiates Memsource from other solutions on the market. One of the main differentiators for Memsource is definitely the AI innovations that they brought to life thanks to their dedicated AI team. And with David, we covered these pretty much in depth. So if you want to learn more about Memsource, David Chenik, and the innovations that they brought to our industry, just sit back and relax and enjoy this new episode of the Localization Podcast. Uh, David Chenik, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Andre. How are you, my friend? You're in Italy. What are you doing in Italy right now? Yeah, I'm I'm working from here. (laughs) Not very exciting. So um, it turns out my, you know, so my wife is is Italian. So um, every summer she she wants to visit her relatives and also um, obviously our kids want to meet their uncles and aunts and 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 nephews and nieces and and so you know it's it's this time that they have are in touch with with this the Italian part of the family. So when I can. I try to be with them, but I obviously cannot take a two-month vacation. So they go to the beach, I stay here and work and talk to you or do something else. How 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 has your plans changed thanks to the COVID? Is it better now in Europe? Could you have traveled safely or did you consider the risks? Well, look, it's 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 been changed for sure for everyone, I think. It meant more more work from home, at least in Memsource. So we were all and continue still to work mostly from home. It means it is less important where you work from, but it's it's equally important how you work, how you deliver, and it is it is more important to have all the technical means available to work remotely in a, in a really efficient way. And luckily we were set up for that already because we were, we allowed people in, at Memsource, we allowed everyone to work from home two days per week, pre COVID. And with COVID, we increased that to, you know, five days a week or as many days as you work. So. Yeah, I was just wondering, like when you told me just a few minutes ago that you are in Italy, I was wondering whether it has something to do with the recent news about Memsource that I just noticed over the weekend. So you sold the majority of the stake at Memsource, but I guess it has something to do with your wife and your family more than selling the stake in Memsource, right? Sure. So you were thinking, I, I, I got Carlisle on board, and I. And the first thing I saw, I went to the beach, obviously, you know, any, any, yeah. So no, 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 that's not what I was thinking. <laughs> I was thinking that maybe they are in Italy and you went there to, I don't know, f- finalize the deal or something. No, no, no. But 
um, it was a, actually a, a funny story, you know, related to that actually pre-closing uh, is I, I was in Italy with my family already and I wasn't sure, you know, the, you know, finalizing this, it took a, still, a, you know, a few days, a couple of weeks, even, you know, the, the whole, the three weeks maybe uh, to really uh, finalize everything. And then it stretched to four weeks as things kind of obviously take longer than, uh, than, than you planned initially. And the plan was probably too ambitious, you know, the, the three weeks. So everything went according to plan, but then I, I had to, I had to go back to Prague to be there on the signing. And I was a little worried to actually, if I, you know, to make it because there were no direct flights, but very little direct flights in June between, uh, between, um, uh, Italy and Prague. And so the, the, the signing was on the 1st of July. And so I took a flight at, at 6.30 a.m. Uh, uh, from Bari and, and I, I landed safely in, in, in Prague on the 1st of July. It was the first flight. There were only 49 people on the flight. And it's, I was a little worried to make it, but I, I made it there on time. Everything worked out perfectly. I'm curious if you can share us more details about the uh, the sale. Like, was it your original idea that you were looking for an investor or were you contacted by them? Um, so, um, no, this was something we wanted to do. And, uh, and throughout the years, you know, as you, as you get a little bigger, you know, maybe when you hit the four or five million annual recurring revenue, uh, you start getting emails from, you know, investors and they seem like they want to just buy you the next day, you know, or invest in you the next day, or, you know, these are very kind of, um, very salesy emails. And, and, and at some point you respond to a few of them and then you realize, oh, they're just trying to, you know, figure out where you are and where, where's the market and who are your competitors and, and so on. So, so, you know, we, you would get this and any, anyone in this space, anyone, any tech company, I think get, they get, you know, get, gets a lot of emails like these, but this was, uh, so, so this was, uh, it was not our first M and a kind of experience, uh, but, but it was the first one that we really, that we really decided we want to go forward with and that we signed, we closed. And so it was a, it was a process that took uh, almost a year from the first day that we said, okay, we're going to start this process looking for, for, um, actually, um, a new shareholder for MemSource. And it turned, turned out that, uh, a good, uh, a good setup was a majority shareholder. So that's where MemSource is today. Uh, I would like to go back to when you had zero annual recurring revenue <laughs> to your very beginnings. Uh, when did you start Memsor and why? So it was in August 2010. So it's it's almost exactly 10 years. It's going to be 10 years in, um, yeah, in, um, very soon. So we're in July now. So, so next, uh, in a month from now, um, and the look, the main reason was that I, so I was uh, in my mid thirties, and 
I went through a uh, you know, number of jobs. I really liked technology. I liked uh, languages. I studied, in fact, I studied translation. I never worked as a translator in my in my adult life. I I, I worked I worked part time as a as a student, uh, uh, but I kind of wanted to do something um, of where I could, you know, take more responsibility, be be really um, in and entrepreneurial. So I I wanted to start a business. I wanted to you know start start my company, and and. Um, this was really the main reason. Did you saw like a gap in the market that you could fill in? Were you not satisfied with the tools that were available on the market? So, okay. So, so look, the main, I guess for a lot of people, at least for me, um, at that time, the main motivator was to start a company. I wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, there's this market gap. I'm going to start MemSource. It was the opposite. So I said, okay, I want to start a company. I want to start something, you know, see if I can do something on my own. Um, and with, a, with, you know, people I, I share values and I want to work with and, and you know, have a team that you, you have fun with and, and do, do something interesting. And then um, I also learned that was from my previous jobs. Uh, where I was, you know, uh, an employee, really. Um, I, I always liked to actually start something, um, start a job where I, where I didn't know much about it. I actually was a, was, was a beginner, beginner at that job because that's most interesting. But it's, it's very risky also. Uh, so mm -hmm. it's a, I guess it's great for an employee. Like it, and it was this still this period, you know, after the Velvet Revolution it was still kind of we didn't have a lot, you know, enough senior people in in, a, in, in any business role. So it was great, you know. It's still this period where you could start a career in pretty much anything, and it was enough that you that you were eager to learn. It was that was and that you were smart and you were able to kind of master it in you know in a year uh, and and then then do the job. So so I I love that. But then when I started Mensource, I was thinking, well, I don't have I don't have the cash to to you know support to 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 really sponsor me and everyone to learn things. Uh, and so I was thinking, well, I need to. If you know with the with the funds I have, I need to start, and we were bootstrapped, so uh, I need to start, uh, you know, make being profitable very quickly. And I don't have the luxury of just learning something for one year and then deciding what to do, whether it's the, it's a good idea. So we I started something that I knew, and that was uh, translation technology. Because before I worked with a friend of mine. At a small translation company, and I saw the translation tech that was being used at that time. And I was thinking, well, it's all desktop, maybe client server that was kind of you know starting that time or not that not that common either. So so you know this will move to the cloud also at some point. So I was thinking, well, let's start a cloud-based um, uh, translation uh, app or something. You know? You mentioned the the name Memsource. You started the company with this name. I'm wondering if there's is there more to the name than just combination of a memory and source. Yeah, I think I t I told you that right when we were. So most people don't know what it, 
you know, why, why this name? And, and at that time when I was starting the company, it was not already very difficult to find any domains, you know, that would be available on the dot com, you know, the dot com domain. Uh, so this was after some brainstorming, you know, I was, this is what was available, what was free, you know, and I registered that and, and it was, I think it was, uh, you know, international, it was memory source, yeah, that this is how it, but, but most people, uh, most people, um, you know, don't immediately think of that. Sometimes, you know, initially I was thinking, mate, well, it's it was quite similar to MemoQ, right? So, well, at least the first three letters. Well, not completely. Maybe now you're thinking it's not, but but that. And when we were starting, it was funny because because we would we would you know we would uh, go to a conference, we would talk to someone, and and then uh, we would uh, do our sales pitch, and then we would call them back and. Oh yeah, you were the MemoQ guys. And we're like, no, we're the we're the Memsource. It's, it's actually not MemoQ. So, uh, so I want to say hi to our friends at MemoQ um, uh, in this way. But uh, but I think at at some point people realize it's something different. And and uh, in the end, I think the name is is, is pretty good. You were bootstrapping from the beginning and you mentioned that you didn't want to take too much time to, you didn't have that much money to go and keep learning forever until you figure out something. But uh, I know from your websites that it took you around two years to get to your first paying customers. How do you remember this first era? Were you like really running out of the funds? How much money did you have to, to get to the first paying customers? Um, we, not very much. I mean, we were very, very, you know, we had, we were, we were very lean. We were just, you know, a team of maybe seven, you know, in, in 2012, we were a team of three in 2011, um, 2010, we were a team of five in 2011. So, uh, it was, you know, we were very, very efficient. Um, and, and I took, I took a loan from a bank and used, uh, you know, um, the, you know, my apartment, our, my, you know, our family apartment as collateral. So, you know, me and my wife, you know, we were like, you know, I, I told, well, I, I didn't share all, you know, I had to get her consent, obviously. So I, I did that by, you know, uh, I didn't go at great lengths. What's going to happen if if this doesn't work out? Right. Because, uh, luckily, it, it did. So so yeah, it was it was it was a loan from from my you know from a bank, and I also had a had a friend who then became a shareholder, um, who was kind of an you know um, um, yeah a business partner then, and got uh, uh, some cash from from that friend of mine and uh, but you know these were the funds were ridiculous i mean it was it was really i don't know i i, I would have to guess but uh, you know a few hundred thousand hundred thousand dollars you know maybe three hundred thousand dollars you know that we mm-hmm. um maybe four but probably not more that we used up do you remember your first client um I think, 
I think I do. I think it was a it was a Russian translation company, and uh, uh, <laughs> and it was our you know Russian Russian translation company. We had a we had a we had a quite a few translation companies as customers, and initially a lot of our you know, first customers were transition companies. And here's a hopefully hopefully funny story. Uh, so. So, uh, Joseph, our first Joseph Kubowski, you know, some may know him or not, but he's well known in the localization industry. So, you know, greetings to Joseph and big thanks, uh, um, for, for everyone, for, for everything he did for, for MemSource. Um, but, uh, he, you know, he spoke a lot, he spoke a lot of languages. He also spoke Russian, but he couldn't, but he, I think he learned Russian when he was living with his parents in Russia because uh, um, uh, they were, I think, diplomats or something. And 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 um, he was able to speak, but he wasn't able to to read or write. Well, I I actually learned Russian at school, and I was able to read and write, but my conversational skills were not great. So when we would we would have these calls, he would be you know on Skype, and he would be demoing Memsource, and then. He would be speaking, and then sometimes they would write something via the chat feature, and he he wouldn't be able to read it because it's in Cyrillic, right? So so I would read it for him. So we were, you know, this is how we were kind of uh, attacking the, the the Russian market. <laughs> I was reading, and and and, and he was speaking. <laughs> this was our first. Custom. That reminds me. I'm not. I'm not sure if you know, but there's like a chick. Czech or Slovak joke about cops, you know, like why they always go together in two. It's so that like one of them can speak and the other one can take notes. Yeah. And there's actually a, a third one, you know, a, a third cop that needs to, you know, kind of keep an eye on the two dangerous intellectuals. <laughs> uh, in the beginnings, were you the one doing the selling? Did you have to learn that? seem to me like you're more oriented on the tech side yeah so i'm not look i'm not an engineer i'm not an engineer by training and i i never really coded a lot i coded a little bit when i was a kid but just out of curiosity and and i wasn't i don't think i would i would be a great coder coder but uh but um i think i have um i'm i'm definitely um you know selling i i really like selling i i have to say i i've and i've i've had a few sales roles in my uh you know previously uh and so i'm you know there's different ways of selling and and i have my own way you know which may be less extra word than someone else's way of selling but but uh uh but so i i don't think this is something i had to learn um you know being customer oriented and and selling is there something you would do differently now if you were starting the company again maybe let's say in this era that we are now yeah well first yeah i you know would i would i still start a company uh and you know if i yeah i think uh i mean i would do you know many things differently i guess uh bootstrapping a company is really hard so i think i wouldn't bootstrap a company again because um because it's it's really hard it's really hard it can it can be extremely hard 
and 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 especially you know SaaS companies where you know you need to be operational twenty four seven and you don't have all the resources, you don't have all the on duty people, and and uh, not everyone is willing to wake up you know at night when there is an alert or some something critical um, on the application. So you know there's things that um, may you know so yeah I think. I think if I was to start another business, uh, which is not something I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still very much involved with, with Memsource. So I wasn't really thinking about it a lot. No, but you know, there, obviously I would do a lot of things differently. So over the years you have grown to, I think you are at 110 employees right now. Around yeah, the we have uh, yeah, t- a team of about 110. Yeah. It's probably going to grow even further, right? With the investment that you just got. It, it will, it will. I think it will. Yeah. Has your vision of the company changed over the years? I, I don't. Not, not, not very much. No. I mean, it. It certainly. Obviously, if you were asking me, you know, if you if you had asked me like then, you know, if we, this interview, you know, would be taking place in two thousand ten, I don't know what I would answer. And if, but but in 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 retrospect, I think. This is how I remember it, at least, is that we we had kind of two milestones in mind and, you know, very high level. One milestone was uh, how, you know, was to bring all that uh, uh, functionality that was available in those desktop tools like Trados, you know, uh, and, and other tools. Uh, how do we bring it to the cloud? So this was our, okay, you know, how do we... And, and we would this would be the the kind of uh, um, what we would hear from from our early customers. Oh, Trados has this feature. When are you going to you know provide it to? And so our first milestone was to bring the the kind of features that were needed, the functionality to a cloud-based platform. And then our next big milestone was. How do we, once we have reached, you know, once we have it in the cloud, you know, the kind of uh, what, what's requested, what's requested, how do we introduce uh, innovative features that are not available in Travis and that are maybe some of them data driven? And so these were the two big milestones that we had, uh, um, that we planned, you know, and that we, that this, this was our vision from the beginning. And um, and I think in 2017, when we started our AI team, this is when we seriously started um, innovating, right? Because uh, because everyone's in the cloud now, and so now it's it's not an innovation to provide a cloud-based uh, platform or software. Before we start talking about the innovations, I'm wondering. Because you decided to start in the cloud and you were sort of playing the catch-up game with the desktop tools to bring the features to the cloud. Exactly. Were you the first cloud, cloud TMS solution and then the others were playing a catch-up with you to bring their features to cloud? Mm, no, I, we were not the first. Um, so I think XTN was before, started before us, also WordBee and maybe someone else. But uh, so we were, we were not the first for sure. But we were, you know, among the 
among pioneers. The first what do you think is what differentiates MemSource from the other TMS tools right now? So, uh, yeah, good question. So, there's a, you know, I'm sure a number of things that, that are different about MemSource. When, um, um, so you may, you know, as, as we, as uh, um, there is, uh, uh, and there's maybe just kind of the product level, obviously. So, and you know, how is the Mem- Memsos product different? And, and I think here you can see that some of the uh, cloud-based TMSs did not hop on the AI bandwagon, you know, so they did not uh, start these AI initiatives, uh, not, not even... As of today, so so I think this is a, probably a, the main differentiator, and it will be more and more apparent going forward because it's going to be very hard to catch up because uh, it takes quite some time and quite some changes in the overall architecture of the product to make these things possible. In 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 in, in um, uh, yeah and. And then I think also, you know, what's different was maybe the company culture could be, you know, this is something that, you know, every company will have slightly different or, or very different uh, company culture. So I believe we have, we have in, in one way or another, some kind of, you know, unique company culture. Maybe I'm wrong, but <laughs> I like to think so. Yeah. Yeah, we will talk about the company culture a little bit later. So let's focus on the innovations and AI. You mentioned the term bandwagon. So is that what you were thinking in 2017 when you set up the AI team that you heard AI from everywhere and you thought like, okay, we need to get on AI? Or what was the initial ignite for you to to actually create a dedicated AI team for MemSource? Uh, so back in 2017, I I think it yeah probably you're right that it already was a, was kind of a um, uh, kind of a, an important uh, maybe even marketing kind of keyword. Uh, but as I said, it's been our you know this was our plan from the beginning. So I wasn't thinking about it as a as how do we create a marketing um, wave or you know. Uh, splash or something so so it was no it was it was the plan from the beginning i think it was just uh, the the next kind of uh, uh the the next uh the next really uh, means of of innovation for mensource it's technology right it's 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 technology that allows you to do certain things that are not that are not easy or that are impossible through other technical means, it's just a, a technical means, and then you have to you have to you know think very hard how to make it useful for your customers, and you you need to provide features that are useful, and your customers really don't care if it's AI powered or not. Maybe actually, if it's AI powered, they may even have more questions like, okay, how how about my data, right? And and so you have to have very solid uh, you know legal and and Privacy and and uh, other you know kind of overall framework how to how you to make sure you're you're uh, you're compliant with with all kind of regulations 
and 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 that you're not doing something you know um, contradictory to or uh, uh, something something mean right because you don't want you want to do good things for your customers so um yeah so it's just a, it's just kind of a tool i think but it's it's a very important tool that allows you to do do things that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise when you set up the ai team did you already have an idea of what they will be working on like what will be the exact features or did you just create the team and let them think about what could be good for the localization community so uh, the latter um we we didn't have you know we didn't have an exact idea because also the ai team would need to be part of that process of of uh you know and providing input and and then getting excited about the things that they want you know to, to do so we didn't want to kind of okay uh, this is our roadmap this is the things that we'll be doing now let's hire a few you know ai engineers so so in memsource and i think this is one of the kind of values that we have that we want to we want to make sure that every every team and every individual is really able to to decide you know what is what they want to work on and what what makes sense what doesn't make sense what's feasible what's not feasible and so this was the same with the ai team uh where non translatable is the first main thing that came out of the ai team yeah this was the first feature so we we were thinking okay what is going to be you know what is going to be our first feature that is uh you know going to be unique needs to be unique but it maybe our first feature shouldn't be like you know overly ambitious it should you know we should be able to de- deliver it uh relatively quickly we want to have the, the results quickly and and we want to um you know we want to make we don't maybe we don't want to tackle the 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 hardest problem that we can think of with our first feature so it worked out really well uh so we we saw that actually when we looked at our at at, at uh, the memsource you know the day and memsource we saw that uh there's quite a bit of segments uh that uh are just not translated and you know um typically these were short segments they may be a sequence of numbers some product codes or brand names whatever you know or an, a url an email address and that was a segment um and and so we uh and and so i think it was it was about fifth yeah 15% of all segments in our data which seems quite a lot and actually um it's in when you look at the word count it's much less it's 4% of the overall word count because these segments are very short but still you know it's something and so we we developed this um algorithm that learned you know from data so strained um and and um it was it's able it's able to identify segments that don't need to be translated full segments here we're not looking at like uh, um, uh specific strings of phrases within a segment So it's just a, the full segment is this segment non-translatable it doesn't have to be translated yes no and actually we also provide some probability scores so mm-hmm. 
And we got, by the way, we got we got this patented in the U.S. So it's a U.S. patent. So uh, it was it was indeed unique, and it was uh, this was our first feature in. Um, yeah, we probably launched it in 2017, if I'm not mistaken. 2017, beginning of 2018, not sure. But I have to look up. Still trying to imagine how the whole process went. Did you start with looking at the data that you already have at MemSource and then the idea came up? Or how does an idea like this originate? Yeah, I think this is how it how it came up. We were looking at the data, you know, at um so it is um uh it, it was this process and i think this is a useful process to make sure that whatever uh features you develop they're kind of based on on the data of your you know in memsource because if it you know if if you if you um uh, develop something that's based on some public data or someone else's data, you know, it will probably may, it may actually not work for our customers because it, they have maybe other use cases, you know? And so it has, it, it it's this, it's important, you know, to use, uh, and this is, this is important to realize, you know, and I think customers don't always, you know, when you think, Oh, you're using my data. Well, if we don't use, you know, your data, it will not work for you because it will be on someone else's data. So, so this is, this is an, an interesting, uh, you know, um, uh, an interesting kind of, uh, attribute, you know, of the whole machine learning. How was the adoption by the customers when you first rolled out the feature? Did you have something like a beta launch that you were pitching this feature to some selected customers of yours, or did you just decide to do it and then publicly roll it out for everyone? No, there was definitely beta, and and most I think most of our uh, more, yeah most of also our newer AI powered features. You know, we we first launched them as beta, and we tried to, you know, we we look we this is very much about experimentation, and you need and it's about learning, and you don't get it right the first time, typically. Even if you do a lot of testing, I mean, you may get it, you know, um, you may, and we're trying to it typically are able to get really good results, but that that doesn't mean. You don't need to iterate and improve. And I think as you know, as we go ahead in this direction, we see that it's very important to work with with uh, with our customers, you know, very, you know, very kind of uh, very on their use cases. Understand, you know, how they how they use those features, learn from them, learn from the actual use cases, and work with them extremely closely. And and we have you know we have a number of customers, number of proof of concepts that we're running on those, on all those kind of latest features. And it's, it's extremely helpful and it's really critical to make sure we, we get this right. And, you know, at the same time, and this is, I guess, the kind of the product attitude that you have to have is if, if you get, you know, if you get feedback that's not completely, you know, not all positive at first, you know, it should not, uh, you know, it, sh- it should not discourage you 
obviously, because um, people are conservative naturally. And if there's something new, then you know they need to you know some need some time also to 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 and to uh, kind of get get used to it. And and maybe you need to ask them once once more after after a couple yeah. of weeks or a month. What is the what is the first stage where you start interacting with customers about new features, especially when it comes to AI? Do you also involve them in conceptual discussions, or is it only once you have something like real that they can see? So, uh, I mean, we we have look we have conversations with customers all the time, right? Our our tech support team, our sales team, our marketing team, obviously our product team myself you know everyone in the company i mean it's uh it's you never have enough of customer conversations obviously it's it's a it's a challenge then to to make sure you you also can process all the information in a meaningful in, in a meaningful way but but you know we um so um there is you know, if we can get some inspiration, feedback, and and then use it to provide a new feature, we'll do it. I think the next thing that's a significant AI thing that came out of you was the machine translation quality estimation, quality estimate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this was our, I think this was our second major AI-powered feature after the non-translatable segments. And this was you know, already more ambitious. So uh, it's this is a hard problem, and you know, few companies are are trying to um, uh, solve this problem, and um, um, not not just Memsource, but um, uh, it's it's the question of what's the quality of machine translation output, and so in this case, we're trying to estimate. The post editing effort effort that it will take to post edit uh, a segment that's pre translated uh, from machine translation. So you know, is this? Do I need to post edit it a lot, uh, a little bit, or not at all? And it's actually perfect. Can go without any post editing. You know, be published or whatever. Um, so this is this is a very important feature, I think, uh, for the localization industry because if you can rely on uh, a score um, that you know quality score that tells you okay these segments uh, don't have to be post edited these need to be um, a little bit post edited and these segments well the machine translation quality is so low don't even bother the translator with it because he or she will just waste their time reading through it you know so so if we can kind of make these distinctions and and make these decisions actually in the workflow uh, then i think it should make things more efficient and it should make i hope everyone's life easier yeah when we're talking about the non-translatables you said the idea of that came from the data. I'm wondering how, what data did you use for the MTQE thing? Because right now I cannot think of anything. Well, it's it's again, it's 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 mostly it is the data that uh, the, the web source data. So 
So um, uh, we have, uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, customers that do post editing, right? So when you do post editing, you have the um, you have the source segment, you have the machine translation output, and uh, then you have the post edited uh, uh, target, uh, and and so you have these three, right? And so this is the data. I'm still trying to wrap my head around this, but how 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 does the score come? I I don't know if it's like your proprietary information, but how do you estimate it? Is it based on like previous similar strings that were post edited? Yeah, it's it's really. I mean, look, there does you know we you could have a, a whole kind of technical discussion on this uh, with our with our engineers and AI kind of research uh, researchers, but. But uh, there, yeah, there. You know, we we basically uh, look at um, uh, what edits were made, um, and um, and you know what was the uh, source, what was the empty raw empty output, and what was the final kind of post edited target, and and this is the the, the basis for the for the for the training. I think I'm getting it now. So when you talk about the the score of the machine translation, this reminds me to translation matches, the percentage that we get from the analysis. Do people actually mm -hmm. start using this quality score to maybe pay the translators more or less depending on the quality score? I look, I think uh, it's definitely something that you know, I I heard you know some customers concerned this, then I'm not sure if, if in the end they implemented something like this or not. I think it can could be potentially used. Uh, obviously, there's some you know uh, there's some things you need to keep in mind, like uh, uh, you know it um, it is uh, it, it's not hundred percent accurate, right? I mean. Um, just like I guess, just like translation memory matches are not one hundred percent accurate. Sometimes you have a real mistranslation started in translation memory. So uh, I I think I think uh, it you know when you uh, so so I think this is still in kind of in evolution. So when we were we actually launched uh, uh, an. Um, way early, I think actually in 2011, 11, we, we launched uh, the post-editing analysis that actually um, provided you with the post-editing score, but this was not an estimation. This was not before, this was not before the post-editing took place. This was after the post-editing took place. And so you, you didn't know until it happened and you didn't know Oh, this this is really low quality MT. Let's not even share it with the translator. Or this is this is actually perfect. It there's no post editing needed. So you just had to push everything to for post editing, and then then find out what was post edited, and then you got the score. So this is this is the difference. And I think uh, it's it's convenient to know before and also for pricing i guess for pricing and budgeting reasons you want to know what's what it's going to cost before the post editing so actually yes you can use this 
uh, for this uh, for you know for, for this use case i didn't think about it until now but if you think about it it is very similar to the tm matches right because so far yeah, i think yeah, i sure. only come across having like a fixed rate for post editing so whatever you post edit regardless of the quality you still get paid the same but if you guys can estimate or anticipate like what is the actually effort that will go into the post editing it might make sense yeah i think it could make sense but then i'm not you know i'm not uh, a translation company owner or you know i say i don't want to make kind of i'm not able to make these decisions but i i, I think it definitely came across a lot of kind of questions and and exploration in this area you know it's still a relatively new field. i mean it's I mean, we launched it in 2018. So it's not that new, but I think it it takes what, what I obviously what what you can see is that uh, one thing is to launch a feature, but then and, and but then another thing, a whole whole different thing is is to uh, change a business process. You know, uh, so to change a business process, it's really not to be underestimated, right? It's really not easy. It takes time, and it takes all the parties to agree on something new and 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 so that this this i think you know we 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 will see more and more of maybe uh, mtqe being used for also budgeting purposes this i think also ties to memsource translate if i'm not mistaken is there a correlation with uh, the mtqe and memsource translate well uh, commercially, yes, but not not technically. So, not 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 in terms of the technology. So, so when you use Memsource Translate, so Memsource Translate is a feature, also AI powered, that that um, selects the most optimal machine translation engine for 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 your document. You know, so it's it's it works at a document level, and. And uh, it so we're trying to you know with MTQE we're trying to provide machine translation quality estimation at segment level. With Memsource Translate we're trying to make sure that if you decide to use MT you use the best available MT engine. You know not uh, not not just one that you think maybe is. Is, is good and so it's it's but it the, the two features uh, so so when you use memsource translate we also uh, you know we we also activate mtqe for you so that you can use that too but so it's kind of bundled together i guess but but in terms of the technology uh we don't use mtqe to power uh, the decision making uh algorithm of, of memsource translate i see yeah yeah, that's what I, that's where I was wrong. I was thinking that maybe you first do the MTQE using different engines and based on the accumulative score of all the strings, you select the engine. But you said it's based on the document level. So what is the logic behind how does the AI select the right engine based on the document? What does it analyze? Yeah, so look, if you could do that, you could use actually you could use MTQE and MTQE is also available by API. So you could you could have this you, know, you, you could use this in this way uh, and you could test different MT engines and kind of look at the quality scores and kind of um, uh, in an aggregate way and, and which, you know, and then decide which 
MT engine works best for, for, for that specific document. So you could do that. But, uh, but obviously the, you know, the downside is that it will be, you know, a little bit costly if you want to run it against, uh, 10 empty engines or something, right? So, so it's going to get a little costly at some point. Uh, and so Memsource Translate is not doing this, um, uh, in, in this way. And, and again, Memsource Translate is powered by data. So, uh, you know, it is, it is, uh, uh, um, again, Powered by the data in Memsource, and and uh, the the uh, there are three uh, the, the our newest version of Memsource Translate take, take you know make, makes the decision based on um, uh, three uh, inputs or three elements. It's the source language, it's the target language, and it's the domain of of, of the docu- document you know in question. So the domain could be I don't know. Um, automotive, life sciences, healthcare, you know, you know whatever. Uh, so, so, um, uh, so this, so, you know, we're actually, uh, we're looking at a document where we have some, you know, content understanding technology that tells us, okay, this is, uh, this is automotive, uh, and, and it's, it's, I don't know, um, English to German. And, and then say, okay, for automotive English to German, as of today, as of our current understanding, because it changes all the time, you know, there's all these continuous updates to the different MT engines. They're getting improved all the time. So as of today, as of now, this is the optimal engine and it, it will be that this engine will be, will be used. Explaining to me as an MT noob does it make sense that there are so many empty engines in the world like do they have do they serve a specific purpose yeah it's a, it's a good question so you know actually when we were starting the ai team you know we were it was uh, you know it was definitely a kind of a, a a big question for us so do we uh develop and uh an empty engine you know a mem source empty engine uh um, and in fact, we had people on the team that, you know, had that experience with developing and training, um, MT, uh, and developing MT technology. And, and, and so it was a real, you know, real question. And we decided not to, because we felt like, uh, there were just too many MT, you know, a lot of MT providers and, you know, Microsoft and Google and Amazon, uh, and, and just so many smaller players and, and, um, and, uh, so it's, I think it's always hard to compete with Google and it's, I think very hard to compete with Google and, and Microsoft and Amazon and everyone else in this space. So we thought, well, let's not go in this, in, in, in this direction. I think, I think there's a lot of MT players because they're, you know, it's new technology. It's exciting technology. It's, it, 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 there, you see all these incredible improvements year on year, you know, in NT. We, we see, we see that in our data, you know, there's incredible improvements in quality year, year on year. So, uh, uh, so we, um, yeah, so, so I agree. There's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot, but, you know, uh, many of the MT 
providers maybe focus on us on 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 specific language pairs. Maybe you know you have a, some you know maybe Japanese MT providers that are really really good at Japanese to English or you know English to Japanese, and and then you have. Uh, so you have a lot of local local MT engines that have access to local data and really spend a lot of time on 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 refining that data that they can produce actually amazing amazing quality uh, and so the idea of Mansource Translate was rather well let's not compete with these guys let's partner you know and let's help our customers find their way to the most optimal technology that you know is so promising which is machine translation and 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 make it you know incredibly well integrated in in memsource to make it completely seamless you know you don't have to test different mt engines or which mt engine is is, is good and is it good enough for my content do i get good leverage you know and so we this is really the plan that we have yeah yeah i think i think it's really smart not sure if i can paraphrase this in english but you know our czech proverb is that if there's a gold rush you should be selling the pickaxes and shovels instead of going to look for gold so i think that's what you guys are doing and i really like it it's a smart idea i'm wondering because you said that uh you're partnering with this empty engine so does it mean that you go around and look for the empty engines that you integrate with memsource or can like people apply or do i as a user can i somehow like add a certain engine to the pool of the empty engines that you select yeah it's a good question so so look we when we when we launched this feature we had just uh we started with just google and microsoft you know as the two as the two engines that were available and we were just picking out between the two that was uh you know early on uh, we added more engines more generic engines uh so you have you have you know Amazon, you have you have others um and uh also what you can do is you can add your uh customizable engines uh to memsource translate and that's that's a feature that we're actually just about to launch uh, uh public to the public so it's uh um, it's it's available to a few customers already, but uh, will there'll be general release at the mid mid July, so pr- pretty much as we speak. Um, and uh, and so you'll be able to uh, add your your uh, customized engines like you know uh, Microsoft Custom Translator or or Google Auto ML or uh, other. Uh, other engines uh, that that have this that support this capability uh, of of being customized, and then you can kind of m- combine it. You have it you, can, you have it in a pool with those generic engines, and obviously those customized engines are only available to you. So so you can mix and match your customized engines with the generic engines, and we do automatically we we do the matching. You know which engine is optimal for uh, for your content if and if you want you can also decide not to use some engines at all you know some generic engines maybe you don't like uh, a specific engine uh, for for whatever reasons business policy or something and uh, or 
or you can also set some additional rules, you know, that, uh, you know, for which language pairs you want to use those customizations. So, so it's, there's, you know, quite a bit of functionality that we're launching around this, this feature set. Mm -hmm. So we talked about a lot of the empty innovations and uh, the latest things that you guys develop, but I'm wondering if I'm a new company that just wants to start with MT, what do you think would be the first steps that I should take? Well, it's, I think uh, it really depends on the specific use case. You know, are you, are you looking to do raw machine translation or are you going to post edit the content or, you know, so that I think we would need to kind of be, get more, a bit more specific around those use cases for a real useful recommendation. But I, I would certainly, I guess, uh, I would certainly recommend to first experiment and, you know, not to invest too much, you know, and use maybe a SaaS version for sure. So you can subscribe and then decide if it's going to work for you or not. So all your AI innovations were centered around MT. Not all, not 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 all, not all, uh, but but the majority. So we we had we had uh, you know the, if in fact the first one the non translatable segments I think is not really MT. We also launched a feature that. And it's it's kind of used in the background. We haven't really publicized it much. But it's uh, there's a feature in Memsort that recommends relevant linguists uh, for you know your own uh, linguist from your own user user pool uh, for for you know when you you want to assign uh, a linguist to document for translation then we would we would recommend the the uh, the most relevant or you know linguist and I think this is also partly powered by AI. Uh, some of that functionality when there is sufficient data, so uh, AI is is in the background. So there's there's a few things we uh, we develop that are not related to MT, but I think it's a it's a you know definitely true that uh, a lot of this innovation that that we're trying to that we're working on it is very much related to MT, as you know we believe this is uh, where this this is where you know, uh, um, really the industry is obviously going. Yeah. So th that was actually my question. Like, what do you think is the, the future with AI in your perspective? Like maybe beyond uh, MT. Beyond MT. So I think we still need to, we're still, uh, I, I don't know what's beyond MT. <laughs> I think it's, just, uh, I think we st still a lot of work. Uh, on uh, on the actual MT technology, and you can see all these big tech players and a number of smaller players, niche players, investing heavily into improving the the core technology. Really, the and and um, and I think smaller providers are you know also it, it, it's tough. Yeah, they 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 also need to invest a lot into scalability. So one thing is to is to is to get the um, uh, empty quality, the, the linguistic quality to a certain level. But then another is to make sure it works under load and that 
if we integrate it, you know, that it can, it can really, it can really support the, the traffic and the, the word volumes. And it's not always the case. So there's, there's a lot of work on MT still. Um, uh, but, um, I think there's equally, uh, there's also very much uh, a lot of work to, to, uh, automate the whole, uh, all the workflow around MT, the training, you know, the, the quality estimation, right? The, the, um, uh, selecting the, the optimal uh, MT engine, um, you know, you can you can think of it just like you know you want to select the most appropriate the, the most qualified linguist uh, to do the translation so in just you know very similar you want to you want to uh, select the most optimal MT engine to do the translation and and uh, it's kind of a paradox that uh, all these big tech companies obviously they have a lot they're very busy with just you know fine-tuning and, and, and improving and adding more languages to their MT technology and and um, but there's a lot of work also in 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 uh, making sure that MT works in the in the localization ecosystem there's a, there's a lot of work and to make it really useful for enterprise customers to make sure that uh, when machine translation, is used in in an enterprise context that it really meets the kind of enterprise grade uh, quality requirements and 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 I think there's and that's one thing. Another thing is to you don't want to turn your localization team uh, at a you know in uh, into uh, project managers of MT and you know setting up MT engines, customizing MT engines, figuring out why this data set doesn't load into the uh, you know uh, to M- MT system to, for it to be customized. There's just tons of manual tasks around MT currently to make it useful. So so you have this paradox of this incredible you know. Uh, um, uh, latest kind of MT technology, right? That, that's really state of the art. And then you have all these mer- this myriad of manual tasks around it that that no no one thought of automating. So this is what we're trying to uh, uh, tackle. And this is this is I think that the kind of next milestone that we have to make it completely seamless. You know to to use Mamsource, you don't have to worry a lot about you know which MT engine, how to train it, you know, is it does it perform, and you know, so so this is I think that it's still a lot of work there. And then what's beyond, you know, it really the the ultimate goal is to provide more automation, and and I think full automation is probably uh, is the ultimate goal, but I I don't know if it can ever be reached. Probably not. So let's talk about the second differentiation of memsearch that you mentioned so we will part away uh, from the technology for a while so let's talk about company culture i'm wondering company culture is such a fancy word especially recently did you think about company culture when you started the company or was it just like these are a bunch of friends that i like to work with and let's create something no this was definitely one of the main drivers for starting the company so i wanted to you know, I wanted to start a company and work in a company where I had some influence 
on the company culture so that you know uh maybe because i think the trouble with being an employee is that you don't have the control about certain things and maybe you have um you know a great boss and you, this is how you get hired and then you then that that person leaves and then you have another boss and maybe that person is is just completely different and 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 is and and so I felt you know I felt like if if I uh, that you know Mansour should be uh, you know should be a place where people um, share these values that I share and it's not for everyone I think you know it's I'm not saying Mansour is perfect for everyone but I think it's 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 uh, built around company values probably like like most companies right yeah so what are the values for you um so you know when we when we hire people we we try to we're looking for someone who's obviously um very professional uh, ideally senior can be also junior but we need to need to see that potential obviously in them uh so we've obviously hired a lot of junior people that grew incredibly quickly and that, that's that's great also but we need to uh we want to we want to so what's really important is that they they like what they're you know they like their work they like what they're doing they're not there just for the salary and that they enjoy working they they uh they like to you know they they really uh um um uh they you can see that uh it's it's something that they're really interested in you know these challenges that we're trying to solve so this is another important aspect uh and obviously what's also very important is their character uh, it, it, you know we they need to be able to work in a team they need to have their you know integrity um you know things like you need to Obviously, you know, I think just normal things like you want to be able to rely on, on your colleagues. You want to just, they need to be nice people, right? And so, so um, uh, yeah, you have, you know, this is, you kind of have the, the, this ideal workplace in mind with, with these ideal colleagues. And this is how you're trying to build a company. It, it maybe doesn't always, uh, it doesn't, it's not always easy. And and uh, sometimes you you know it it doesn't work uh, you know perfectly in in all instances when you know when we made some mistakes you know hiring people and and so on uh, for for different reasons you know, maybe we, we were not experienced or whatever but but this is this is really the the kind of goal that you have and I think even if you grow grow the company bigger you need to you need to you know you can't you can't think okay now i'm 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 100 plus people i can just hire anyone or i can hire people that are you know you know here's a great you know marketing manager but but okay he or she doesn't kind of share the same values but you know it's going to be okay so it's not going to be okay i think the the values take precedence always how does your leadership fit into the company culture how would you describe your leadership style? So um, it's probably look. It's I'm, I'm not sure if I'm able to describe it myself because because I mean I can try and but it, I don't know how <laughs> how accurate it's gonna be. Um, 
But I think it is, uh, I would probably, again, refer to these values. So, you know, I, 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 I'm trying, basically, I think the one of the main um, tasks, you know, or one of the main kind of, um, uh, I guess, task or um, uh, a, a, an important role that I, that I have is to make sure we, we, we stay true to these values and we, we don't divert from the values. And then that this is, I think, one of the really important uh, things. Has somebody ever told you that you broke your own values? <laughs> no. <laughs> do you think? Do you think you did it? Uh, you know, obviously you need to. You know, so there's, you know, it's, so, so you know, life is not like is is not you know black and white, obviously. So, so um, the values are you know something that you strive to but you're not perfect right and 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 the, and and uh and so um you certainly make mistakes and sometimes you make a you know hiring decision that you later regret and it's uh, these are kind of the mistakes that that are painful right because you have to deal with them later and and people get affected um but um yeah, obviously that's life. You have to. This is something. If if you're if you're uh, if you're trying to build something, it's you know there's going to be always some mistakes you're going to make on the way, and also because you, I was not born as a CEO, and most of our managers were not born or not didn't start as managers in Memsource and had to learn and, and, and successfully actually grew into these roles. And so most of our, almost all of our engineers, you know, that, that I started the company with, um, so the, the early kind of hires that I made, these are, almost all of them are, are you know, top managers in the engineering uh, group that we have. And it's been amazing to see them grow and, and uh uh, into these roles on your ceo journey what do you think was the biggest failure that happened to you and what did you learn from it so the biggest the biggest failure look, look i think i think there's been maybe a few on on the product side i think so I, I don't know if anyone kind of remembers it still but but we started um when we were when we started developing the the translators workbench, our first uh, attempt was to use Microsoft Word and develop a plugin. I think it's called it was called Addin. So you know Addin, Memsource Addin, and that really is a plugin. Uh, and and we invested a lot of time into this. And the reason why we took this path was that we had you know very limited resources and to develop a translator's workbench is really very resource intensive it doesn't make maybe it doesn't look like that but it's, it's really hard it's really hard and so we took this took this path and we spent a lot of time on this and, and then it wasn't the right uh, the right way and uh, and we had to completely you know 
ditch that. And, and then we, we developed a Mensource editor for desktop and Mensource editor for web, and then much later, Mensource editor for mobile. And so this was, this was a big mistake, you know, uh, probably one of the biggest kind of, uh, one of the biggest product mistakes that we made, but very early on and we were able to recover from it. Um, and then I think the, you know, maybe the, the mistakes that, you know, I, I regret the most is when you hire someone and, and it's the wrong, it's the wrong person or it's the wrong hiring decision. You know, it's, it's not the fault of that person. Like you made that, that, that hiring decision, right? As a manager or as a CEO. So these are the, these are the, I would say the mistakes that I would, that I would uh, definitely regret, but I'm not sure if they can be uh, prevented 100%, probably not. What is something that people seem to misunderstand about you? Well, it's, you know, it's, I, I, look, I don't know, it's, uh, it, but there's one thing that I can remember. Uh, and again, it's kind of tied to our very early years when I was, um, I would, I would go to all these uh, uh, localization industry shows, right, uh, all, all around the world. And I would go with, with Joseph Kubowski, who I, who I, who I mentioned earlier, uh, who was really the sales, the, the, the first sales person in Memsource. And 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 later our head of sales, and so uh, we would I'd go with him, and I would you know he you know he very he he was and he's very extrovert, so he would do a lot of the talking. Then I would maybe explain some of the more like the technical things, and and then you know um, and then uh, we I think a year later at a conference, you know we we bumped into this person, this this, this customer said. Well, you know, Joseph, you're really great. You know, you're you're a great um, sales guy, or you know, and and here you're the the decoder. You know that you know pointing at me. You know, the, 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 this guy that you know it's, it's also it's a really really knowledgeable coder that you have you know, that you brought along. Like, Thanks. So you know, this was maybe <laughs> one of the misunderstandings um, that I can think of. So do you think that people look at you as a as a tech guy, as the coder? It happened to me a few times, so I guess so. But I, you know, I, I never, I, I, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a coder, you know. But I think, I think, uh, and I never told anyone, you know. So, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm the product guy, you know. So, so I was, you know, the, the product guy for many, many years in Memsource and you know, before we had any product team. So. Um, so it's not that far, right? So you, you know, if you, you know, there's sales and marketing and there's product and engineering. So I was kind of on that side. So in that sense, maybe, uh, you know, they were right. What would you do if there was no mem source? Uh, <laughs> would you, would you start a company or? Yeah, I would start. Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I would start, you know, if there was, I, I would, I would have a plan B there. Yes. Another company. Another man source. At, at your position or like at your age and experience, would you ever work for someone? Or do you always have the drive to be the leader and be in charge of decisions? So, no, no, I don't have to be always kind of, um, you know, to, to, to dominate everything. No, I, I think at Mansource, you know, we work very much as a team. And so it would be a misconception to think that, you know, I'm, I'm the person in Mansource that runs everything. It's true that I founded Mansource 
and I, I, I took this risk, you know, and, uh, but, um, but it's, um, it, it wasn't certainly there were, you know, we are hundred plus people. So, uh, so I worked together with many, many, many colleagues, you know, either from management or, or from across the company. So I like, you know, I, I like to, I like to work. I like to work with, with others. Definitely. What are you curious about right now? I think it's this new state with Carlisle. Uh, yeah, no, I think, look, I'm, I'm kind of, if, if you're looking, so, uh, you know, I'm kind of, it, outside of work, I, I really have very little to, to, to share. I'm kind of, if, if you're not interested in localization, I'm probably the most boring guy that, that you've met because I don't <laughs> have a lot, a lot to share because I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, Really, I don't, you know, I'm sure that, you know, there's going to be time when I'm going to be doing other things too. But right now, it's very much uh, focused on what we're doing at Memsource and it's very exciting. And uh, yeah, that's not, you know, only what I'm doing. Like I said, I definitely, you know, my family is very important to me and my kids and my wife and everything. But, but, you know, obviously that's not the topic of this conversation. But it's it's and then in fact I can hear my 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 kids are just getting back now, so you may hear some background noise. Yeah, so you mentioned the Carlyle Carlyle group, right? That you're curious about. Yeah. Are you expecting changes within how the company is running, or did you talk about some plan together, or are they going to be more of a passive shareholder? So yeah, so the Carlyle Group is is a majority shareholder, but you know I remain remain and 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 uh, and um, except for one of the uh, previous Mensor shareholders, uh, everyone remains on board, um, and uh, and remains in management, remains a shareholder. So uh, you know the Carlyle Group is is not gonna manage Mensos, right? So that needs to be the management. Uh, and, and so there's not going to be, you know, obviously time will tell. And, uh, but right now the plan is to, is to kind of to continue what we're doing, just doing it maybe even better if, if, if you know, and, 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 uh, and accelerate certain things. And certainly what, what I want to, you know, what's really important is that we add more senior talent. So really, if, if anyone is listening, you know, we're hiring and, <laughs> and for sales and marketing, especially. Um, uh, so um, uh, we, we need to, you know, I as a, you know, I as a CEO, well, it, you know, I, I, I worked as almost like, you know, in the, all these roles and wearing these different hats, you know, head of sales, head of marketing, head of product. Well, luckily we have now. A chief product officer. We have a, a chief marketing officer starting very soon, and um, but uh, there is, you know, I need to, I, I, I need more help from others. So I, I, we need more, more leadership bandwidth, definitely. Yeah, I still have uh, have it on my backlog to create some videos about Memsource. Now that you guys gave me the academic edition. So that's going to do something. Um, what do you think is wrong with our industry? Nothing. Nothing. You're the first person to say that. Like, I think there's this, this, like, 
there's something, there must be something wrong about us, right? I, I don't know why should we be so hard on us. Like, I think we have a, a very, you know, I think we have, uh, uh, you know, we're living, you know, this really exciting, exciting period for organization. Uh, exciting times, you know, with a lot of innovation. So, you know, sometimes, you know, what maybe, you know, we have these, um, obviously it's, it's an industry where you have the, 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 the linguists that do the work really, right? Uh, the translation work and, and other linguistic work. You have uh, the LSPs that sometimes are hard on the linguists. And then you have the enterprise customers that are sometimes hard on the LSPs. <laughs> so I think, and, and on us also, right? And, and LSPs are hard on us and linguists are hard on us also because we maybe, uh, you know, maybe we're not their most favorite tool, you know, for, for some of them, although we're trying really hard. So, so I think sometimes we, we, it's a, it's maybe a little bit too kind of confrontational. And, and I think we could, we could maybe learn how to work more together, you know, um, because the industry is growing. I mean, it's not like we have, you know, the, the, the industry is growing. We should be able to share more, even with all this innovation and automation. I think there's going to be enough work for everyone and for, you know, all the kind of experts that we have. And, and I don't think this work will be disappearing. So, uh, it's just, there's just more and more content for localization. So I think we're trying to deal with that, with that increasing amount of content, uh, you know, everything is moving digital. And, and, and so this is what we're dealing with. We're not trying to get people out of work. I think this is, this is, uh, this is important to, to say. What are the things you changed your mind about? Maybe not even like during your memsers, but let's say maybe compared to when you were younger, like some hardcore fundamental things about the way you viewed the life. <laughs> Yeah, so I think just like anyone, you know, people change as they get older. Um, you know, you, 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 maybe you're kind of less radical, you know. Um, you, you, you learn that sometimes there's different ways of how to say things, right? So that you can say them in a way that, that insults everyone, even though you think you're right. It's not going to help. So. So I think you, you, you at least, you know, you, you try to be more kind of, uh, maybe not diplomatic, but really, really be more constructive, you know, be more kind of team oriented. And, and, um, I think this is, this is the kind of, uh, development that I saw with, you know, uh, at least with me and trying to work on that a little bit. Are there any absurd or stupid things that you do still, even after your development? Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Can you think of anything specific? Uh, yeah, you know, I think I still, you know, I still like to, I, I'm still kind of this perfectionist guy right now. So yeah, I still like to, you know, like to have, you know, I still like to make sure everything is pretty much, you know, perfect, you know, as I would like to have it. But, and, and then I try to maybe comment on things internally that 
I then realized I don't really fully understand. And I think, you know, this, <laughs> so I, and, and you, you know, and I think I, I still do it occasionally, I think, but I'm, I'm doing it much less. So, so, and it's a little bit kind of related to the growth of mentors, right? And as you know, I, you start with, and still with the team of 30, 40, you still pretty much know everything about the company. When you, grow beyond the 80 people i think in our case it was really 70 80 people you you don't you don't have that visibility anymore into everything uh, you still need to keep that visibility into into a lot of things but not to into everything and and uh, you need to make sure you have as many people as possible that can fill that that gap okay david uh, final words from you if you could speak to everyone in the industry what you what would you tell them other than please submit your resume to memsers if you are seeing them? <laughs> you know i think i think i'd like to uh, this i i already said it and i can't think of anything else i i i think you know we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves i think this is a really exciting industry uh, uh sometimes you know you uh, you, you you hear okay this this industry is too small or it's not growing quickly enough or it's not innovating, you know, at, you know, it could, should be more innovative or whatever. I, I, I think we need to, um, I, I think there is obviously some truth, like we need to, some, you know, we, we, you see that sometimes there are people that are obviously conservative and stick to old ways of working, but I think it's, it's, just in any industry it's not about localization so so i think we need to we need to uh, become a bit more self-confident maybe and and we also need to uh maybe we need to work work more together and and we need to work more as partners and this is what we'll be trying to do and what we're trying to do all the time and i think this is really it's really been thanks to our customers that funded the growth of Memsource, right? And thanks to the translators, linguists, and LSPs that were willing to work in Memsource and support us. And so it, it's, it, I think, and it, and I think we were, we were always trying to be really partnering friends with, with everyone, you know, and, and, and not, not confrontational. Although we obviously kind of wanted to had our vision in mind and we're going in that direction, uh, and so I I hope we can you know we can we can work together uh, uh, as as uh, uh, as industry and the different stakeholders. That's that's my wish. Thank you. Is there anything I should have asked you but I didn't? Uh, no, I think I think. I think you 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 exhausted everything. So all the <laughs> exhausted questions. you. You exhausted me. Just exhausted all the questions. No, I'm not exhausted. But but it's uh, it's been no thanks thanks a lot. It's been great questions. I cannot I cannot think of of like some some question that I'd like to kind of uh, suggest uh, for me to ask. Yeah. So. All right. Well then, thank you very much, David, for the interview. Well, thanks, Andre. Thanks, thanks for your questions. I'll let you get back to your family. Enjoy your time with 
uh, in Italy. And we'll talk next time. Bye bye. Yeah, definitely. Looking forward. Thanks a lot for the interview. Thanks for your time. Bye. Yeah.